listening to the Blade and Chalice podcast, hosted by David Kahn. Welcome back to the Blade and Chalice podcast. So here we are at the beginning of April 2021. And I just want to begin by saying that this is actually quite an important month this year. And so much of this episode is going to be related to what this month could mean and basically some insights and advice for optimal alignment during these times. So we saw, just to recap, we saw a lot of activity happening last year. There was a lot of energy moving. There was a lot of... um, you could call it planetary activations happening astrologically. And by the way, the way that I work with astrology is a little bit different. Um, I work more with evolutionary astrology, and I look more with what astrology really does on a deep level. So I'm not so much tuned into uh, pop astrology or celebrity astrology um, or even medical astrology. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking at evolutionary astrology and what it's telling us during these transitional times. So, looking at that, there's two months this year where energetically there's going to be, there were major stress points, and kind of a third one later on in the year. The first one was January, and now late April is another major stress point, and I'll explain why. Because we have four planets in Taurus, that's the Sun, Venus, Uranus, and Mercury squaring off against Saturn in Aquarius. And as you may or may not know, I've said this before, is that full moons and new moons act as activation points. So the full moon that will be happening on April 27th is a particular potent one for this year. And it's a particular moment where there could be a stress point, meaning there is some particular activating energy that can be related to the unfolding of events afterwards. And so this episode is really dedicated to speaking to that. And so it was also inspired as well, as I follow a lot of people out there that are um, quite awake to what's going on in the world. And one of the groups I was involved in there was a private message that was shared publicly in a public forum. And the private message was information for two specific individuals that was very specific to their situation. And when it was shared more publicly, it created a lot of uh, fear and anxiety. And so the thing you have to understand about these stress points is that they echo throughout all the various realities that we're in. We are each the center of our own universe in that we live in a very specific reality where the events unfold in a very particular way. And the other people that we see around us, depending on how aligned they are frequency-wise with us, can be in a very similar reality in which the reality that they're aware of and conscious of is very close to the reality we live in. And those are the ones where we definitely experience more intimacy and more communion with others. And then certain people who really don't, you don't feel much with, you don't really see a lot of alignment, it's because they're sort of echoing 
from a reality that's much more distant than yours. And so, even with regards to people that are awake to what's going on, there's a huge discrepancy. For instance, I have friends um, in Indonesia right now, on the island of Bali, and some of these friends are reporting an escalation of uh, tensions and sort of forced procedures, and they're um, feeling like it's time to leave. And that could be the best move for them. Whereas others in the same place, their uh, internal navigation is telling them in their reality, it's not going to be a concern. And so that's the thing to keep in mind. And that's why it's very important to be careful about what we're exposing ourselves to. Because if we expose ourselves to information that is from a reality quite different than ours, there's a gap, there's a differential between the world we're currently experiencing and the one that this information is coming from. So it could needlessly steer us in a direction we're not meant for and sort of begin to shift the momentum we're moving towards. As opposed to, and this is why I really speak to the concept of individuation, when we really tune into our own instructions and what we're meant to do, we actually align better with what's required for the specific um, things that are unfolding in the reality that we're experiencing. And so, we will be able to feel who those individuals are that are in alignment with the reality that we're going to. And so, right now, I see many people, like I said, that are awake. And some of them are getting instructions to leave, to move somewhere else, to do something drastically different. And others who may be living right next door to them are saying, no, I'm going to stay put. I'm working on something right now, and this really needs to happen. So it's very individual in that regard. And so it's very important that when the stress test, like what is potentially going to happen at the end of this month, energetically speaking, occurs that we are where we need to be for our own individual needs. I hope that makes sense. And so, back to this um, sharing of a private conversation, when that private conversation that has specific information for certain individuals is then shared with a larger audience, there can be unnecessary fear and anxiety caused when people attach themselves to the information as though this is going to happen to me. And when we start thinking that, we can get um, overridden of our own natural sort of um, sensing capabilities because fear and anxiety and lack of safety and security in Maslow's hierarchy of needs form the base. And so, if we have security imbalances, if we have safety imbalances, um, it can really derail a lot of the finer attunement to things. And so, it's important for us to have cultivated some trust and calmness. Now, with that being said, I just wanted to share this because a lot of people I know personally have actually been tuning out of information. And that's what last month was all about. Um, I sent out a little bit of an update where I went to nature for retreat and a reset and really um, took out <laughs> a lot of the distractions to other information and allowed me to tune in. And a lot of people that I'm in touch with, clients, um, other people that I are colleagues that I, I keep in touch with, were reporting the same thing. They were really feeling the call to go deep. And in fact, if they tried to um, execute on some of their ambitions, they would come into roadblocks. So last month was really a time to tune in, tune out of everything that's going on, 
as a way to prepare for what's coming this month, energetically speaking. And I can't predict the actual physical um, occurrences in your reality, but I can speak to the um, influences at play based on astrology. So we have a lot of um, energy in Taurus right now, and a full moon coming up, um, or sorry, energies in Taurus at the end of the month, and then a full moon in Scorpio, which is 180 degrees from Taurus, and then we have Saturn in Aquarius forming a T. Now, this is a very powerful alignment, and what this is speaking to is that Taurus is values, comfort, security, resources, money, banking, food, land. Aquarius is the collective, Saturn is structure, the moon in Scorpio is deep intensity, and so what this is speaking to is that there's a potential for a shakeup to our values, to our sense of um, our ability to move, and Taurus is a stubborn sign. So, it's very possible that we might see a very, I call it a Uranic fracture, but that's because of Uranus's energy. It's very shocking, but it may lead a shocking blow to certain uh, systems of support out there, causing us to adapt very quickly. And our ability to adapt is really what I want to talk to, because that is more important than any meditation, any breathing technique, any visualization, any positive affirmations. Um, Our ability to sense reality as it is and move with that as we need to is more important than all of that stuff. There's a concept in... um, some of the work I've, I've I read when I was much younger that Carlos Castaneda did about this idea of an assemblage point, and that is something in your field. It's the locus at which reality sort of enters. It's the filter of reality, the filter of the mind. And in most people, it gets crystallized in a particular position, and they get hardened in a viewpoint. We call that closed-minded. Something happens in their life that's big, and then it becomes fluid for a little bit of time, And eventually, they use the same patterns to crystallize it again in a new configuration. And I use the example of, okay, so somebody's lazy and they watch TV and they eat pizza. Then they have a health crisis and their identity shifts from being lazy and eating pizza to now being a gym rat. So they go to the gym seven days a week and now they're taking gym selfies and they're posting, you know, um, motivational videos about being a gym rat. So they basically transposed from one crystallized identity into another one. However, people who are conscious and are involved in the work are people who can maintain fluidity. They're able to take on any configuration that's necessary for that present moment so that their filter of reality is constantly shifting. And that actually has to do with the way that the mind works. Because in any given instant, we're bombarded with two billion bits of information. This is coming from uh, psychology. However, the conscious mind can only process 2,000. So the conscious mind becomes a binary computer. It says yes to certain information and no to the rest. So it says yes to 0.001% of information, because that's all it can handle, and then tunes out 99.999% of reality. So then we have to ask, what are we focusing on and what are we tuning out? Seeing as we can only tune in on a minute fraction of what's actually happening 
it's important for that not to be the same 2,000 bits of information in any given circumstance. It's important that it can be fluid because we can't get more attention points, but we can allocate them differently. And what we need to do is allocate them in a way for what is right for me in this particular moment. And it's a moment-to-moment basis. And when these stress tests happen, like the one that is potentially going to happen at the end of the month, um, it's a very good time for us to tune in and to reevaluate what's necessary. Now, let me give you some practical examples here. We really have to get clear on what our bottom line is. Because how this stress test could play out in your life is any number of ways. So, ask yourself, how attached am I to the place that I currently reside, to my home? How attached am I to a certain group of people in my life, whether that be friends or family? How attached am I to my perspective of reality and my worldview being a certain way? How attached am I to a certain way of eating and a certain quality of life? How attached am I to reliance on the existing financial systems? Or how fluid am I to adopt something maybe like cryptocurrency if I haven't already? How open am I to collaborating with others? And... Um, basically taking the power back on food production, on resource sharing. I'm just asking these questions. I'm not saying all of these will apply, but it's important to know that when stress occurs, what is going to be your knee-jerk reaction? What's going to be the one thing you go, oh my God, this thing is under threat. Oh my God, my house is under threat. Oh my God, my... um." Bank account is under threat. And that can be um, very disruptive to us basically moving in alignment. Now, most of the decisions that we make are micro decisions because we're actually carried on a much larger, larger wave of lifetimes. We've been in this for lifetimes. What is unfolding now over this multi-year span in the early part of the 21st century is something we've waited for for a long time. And some of us are less fixed and have used this time over the last two, three, four years to basically untether ourselves from the system, from our own fantasies about the way that reality works, and that we actually don't really have anything to lose. There's something very powerful about not having anything to lose anymore. Being in that state means all options are on the table and there's nothing I will say no to. For instance, um, you know, there's people that will not travel because a certain piece of paper is required and they don't want to get a certain test done. Now, if all options are on the table and you need to leave the country you reside in, you might want to figure out how you can get that piece of paper happening. You might want to really evaluate your, um, <laughs> how to put it, you know, your, your, um, your values around that. Because you need to leave because something is happening in which your current area of residence is no longer 
um, hospitable for you to live there anymore. And I'm just giving these very real practical examples for a specific reason. Because most of us, myself included, in this lifetime, have lived a very comfortable middle-class life. There's been no war. There's been no political unrest. There's been nothing that has caused a major shakeup. And these major shakeups are completely cyclical. They happen often. And so we've forgotten what to do when there's a major shakeup. I happen to remember what this, these shakeups are like, and they're just memories or impressions from times outside of this one. I mean, personally, I grew up born in 1984 in a small town in Canada, and I lived a very um, a privileged life, you know, grew up um, with a very supportive, loving family, uh, always had enough resources at home. But in my awareness, there are also times where I remember wars breaking out. I remember natural disasters occurring. I remember pandemics such as this one occurring where there's been mass um, reconfigurations of large groups of people. One story I really resonate with is the story of um, Gurdjieff, basically, who um, basically in the early part of the 20th century was uh, had a group of people who were gathering to discuss the great work at various um, tea houses and cafes in St. Petersburg, Russia. And then as he saw the climate changing close to the Bolshevik Revolution, he could immediately sense that it was time to go. It was no longer safe for them, that group, to be in St. Petersburg. So he said to all the people who were regular attendees of this group, okay, we have to leave now. You have to listen to everything I say because our lives are in danger and I know what to do. And so he led a group of men, women, children, elderly, out of St. Petersburg, way south. And if you know your geography, Russia's huge. He led them over the Caucasus mountain range. And at one point, it got so bad that he was caught between the White Army and the Red Army. He was caught between the Tsarist um, uh, loyalists and the um, Bolshevik revolutionists. And both groups would have killed them easily. But he basically was able to uh, fake his way through. He was feign- feigned his way through, talked him out- himself out of mass execution with the group that he was in, and he ended up in a safe haven at the time, which was Constantinople, currently known as Istanbul, Turkey. And then he restarted the group there, or you know, got them back on their feet. And he was very adaptable. He went to a small town in Turkey, and he basically said, bring me any uh, gadget and I'll fix it for you. And he charged a fee based on the person, their temperament, their beingness, when they came to bring him something to fix. And so he ended up making substantial amounts of money fixing stuff because I guess people in Turkey at that time, they didn't really know. They had bought all this um, westernized technology and uh, they didn't know what to do with it. And he was a, a fairly crafty guy that was able to fix it. And then he moved to France. And as things started to get worse closer to World War II in France, he was living in a castle and they were drinking wine and they were eating chocolates while the world around them was descending into chaos. And so what I'm saying here is that he had a certain sense of adaptability because he was attuned to the frequency of 
the great work, Conscious Evolution. And he didn't have any tethers to culture, to, um, you know, I hate to say it, but he didn't have attachment to friends and family that would preclude him from taking the actions he needed to. Of course, we love our friends and we love our family, but sometimes that love extends to the fact that we need to do something different for ourselves because they're not willing to go in the same direction as we are. And so, again, this is a time to contemplate what am I willing to give up or change in order to be perfectly adaptable, in order to have a 100% fluid assemblage point during these very transitional times. Especially, as I heard Dave say, and for whatever he's worth, that there might be some sort of a stress point happening at the end of April, energetically. And whenever these stress points happen energetically, something tends to happen in the physical. So, it would be very interesting to see what this is, and I'll let you take that information and digest it and figure out what it's going to look like for you or what it might look like for you because it's going to look different because we're all in different realities and that we tend to attune to certain realities and trajectories. And sometimes we have to make a gap between the reality we're on because it's about to hit um, a dead end and we need to make a, lo- a leap. Likewise, sometimes people are asking us to make a leap around us and we're already on a perfectly good trajectory and we don't need to change course and we just need to stay the course. So you'll need to figure out which one you're on. And if you need any help with this, you can email me and I do have services, some services for a fixed price, some by donation, where I work one-on-one with people and I help them get aligned. That is my slogan, getting aligned during turbulent times. I mean, God, I'm excited about all this. I've been waiting hundreds of years, at least 700 years for this to happen. I remember 13th century Northern England waiting in a tower, peering into the future, being like, ooh, beginning of the 21st century, that's when the party's going to be happening on this planet. That's when people will give up religion and they'll give up killing each other and they'll give up um, their, all their limiting um, buffers and their filters in which they tune out the beauty of universal law, the beauty of reality as it is. Just taking a deep breath. It's a lot of information there, I know. But it's also important for me to speak very candidly about things and not sugarcoat things anymore because we're reaching a period of time where each of us must walk the razor's edge between too much and too little, between overdoing it and underdoing it. And that razor's edge is a finely calibrated balance. See, we can't muscle our way into intentional community that'll fall apart. Likewise, we cannot sit around and wait passively for something to happen to us. We do need to take some degree of action but what is rightful action? Well, rightful action is when you've been receptive enough to sense what is needed, and then you act in alignment with that. And so when a period of time like this happens, and there's an immense amount of uprising within the body, upwelling of emotion that might not even be yours, that could be part of the collective, once that is settled, once you've actually um, 
remove the tension from that and you can see it clearly, then you know how to orient yourself. I'm also going to put a link to my free guide in the description below because it gives some really good techniques for um, dissipating tension, dissipating overwhelm in the body that are very easy to do. And as much as I said, meditation and affirmations and all that isn't really going to help you be adaptable, this will help you clear out the distractions to return to a, uh, to a state of sensing. Because most of what's going on is in your body right now. Most everyone I talk to is feeling some degree of overwhelm or something is happening in their body very physically that's getting in the way. So it's a way of getting out of your own way. Um, another great suggestion is to go back and listen to the podcast I did with Andrew Bishop on the Bishop Method, and he gives a free app that he developed for doing his specific um, bodywork sequence, which I do regularly to break down massive amounts of tension in the body so I can get back to clarity. See, tension is the thing that basically, whenever we have a lot of tension or overwhelming sensation in the body... That's basically the body saying, I'm pretty backed up right now with energy and I need you to release this for me so I can give you a clear signal. That's it. It's really that simple. You don't need to go to a workshop. You don't need to go to seminars. There's no books to read. Nah, none of that. Basically, just get rid of the tension and I'll tell you what needs to happen because sensing is a quiet, steady, slow impulse arising in the body. And tension is chattery, loud, fast, incessant. Ch and it's that chatter that clouds it. It's kind of like um, in like a, you know, if you're watching a radio, like, you know, a radio when you're trying to tune into the channel and you got all the static, that's what tension is. It's like static. And as you tune into that station, you hear the station coming into focus, coming into clarity, and all the static disappearing. Of course, some of the younger listeners to this podcast might not even know what it was like to tune a radio dial. That's really a testament to the uh, change in um, social memes, <laughs> social understanding. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. Some of my uh, clients are as young as 18. And, um, you know, they've grown up in a very different world than myself. And then other clients are as old as um, in their 70s. So I really see the gamut of things. And I will say this is that there's benefits to both sides. When you're older, you have life experience. And you've seen many things. You know yourself quite well. However, a lot of your strategies and what worked, worked in a previous generation and everything is in a constant state of flux. So what worked if you're a baby boomer and you put away money, uh, regular savings, and you climbed up the corporate ladder at your job, and now you have some degree of wealth, isn't going to work for Generation Z, who basically inherited a life where um, prosperity is got from carving out your own path. You know, you're more likely to make it as a clever YouTuber than you are as a university graduate in today's global marketplace. So, yes, even if you are a little bit older, you know, and people that are a little bit older, I invite them gently to try out new things because what worked at one point in time might not work anymore.
there are certain universal laws that are immutable, but the actual cultural milieu changes, and it changes quite often. And that can be tracked with you know, astrology. I am putting together some material on evolutionary astrology that isn't readily available because I'm really taking a look at this from a very macro perspective. And I'm even taking a look at the great ages, the what's called the great year, the um, 26,000 year cycle that the sun goes through due to the wobble of the earth, where it rises at a different point on the spring equinox every year for 26,000 years. And this is what defines our ages. And when I, put, I want to put together a video on this too that really explains how over these 2,400 year um, periods when the sun is in a specific sign, and as we all know, it's moving from Pisces into Aquarius, before that, it was moving from Aries into Pisces. And in the age of Aries, bomb, 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 bomb. It was war. It was the ram. It was big, huge armies of hundreds of thousands of men that look like they're in the movie 300, just wiping out each other in these giant battlefields across the desert, you know, pharaohs and these chariots. And that was really the end of a lot of the um, remnants of the wisdom cultures. The Ramses dynasty was responsible for a lot of the... Um, destruction of a lot of the uh, mystery schools, the Comitian mysteries and um, previous iterations of knowledge that existed in the um, Nile Delta region. But it wasn't just localized there. I mean, if you look back, you know, I had a chat with um, Yassine, who's a brainwave entrainment guy, and that interview will be coming out shortly. He was talking about the year 1500 BC there's widespread reports across humanity of chaos being in the world. There's testaments from Babylon where people thought that the world was going to end. This is likely it. And it very could much be um, affiliated with the um, reports of locusts and plagues and all that stuff in the Bible. Because some of the Bible, not much of it is good, in my opinion, but some of it does actually um, account for things that happened historically. There was a flood. There was a period of time when things got pretty dicey and there's a lot of locusts eating the crops and, um, you know, natural disasters and war and pestilence and plague and the four horsemen, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And again, these cycles happen on a macro scale and on a more um, shorter scale as well. You know, the last big thing to happen was World War II. The last moderately big thing to happen was 9-11. Before that, it was the Vietnam War. Um, before World War II was World War I, and then there was the Boer War, and then there was the um, uh, American Civil War, and then we had the uh, British-American War, and then the American Independence War, and then not to mention all the local fighting going over Europe, and um, you know, if you're in India, the India-Pakistan um, Revolution, the splitting of the two countries. I mean, that happened in the 40s as well. So you can see, no matter where you live, every 50 to 80 years, something major is happening. We've just been in a bit of a lull where people have been able to get very comfortable, very middle class, very much, oh, I don't really have to do anything, I'll be taken care of, and not thinking, uh-oh, the writing's on the wall. I can see I need to adapt. 
And it's not adapting just to survive. It's adapting actually to what's needed to bring you into a higher octave of reality. I keep saying the future is going to be amazing. I've already seen some of these technologies that are out there. I've spoken with these um, scientists in the Netherlands and from Russia who've developed a lot of these frequency-based therapies, and we're kind of seeing them come onto the um, marketplace a little bit too. But there's going to be more and more of this stuff coming online. I know a guy in Indonesia who's working with free energy, for instance. This stuff is out there. It's just we haven't had an event that causes us to bring it all together. And when these events happen, they can look negative and they can look scary, but a lot of good comes out of it. It's sort of like, you know, a bushfire has to happen for new growth to occur. It's, you know, there's um, the, the Mayans used to do slash and burn farming to basically, you know, the ashes of the burn would basically create the right mineral balance for the new soil. And so, you know, new life, a new octave of life comes out of certain death or collapse of old structures. And that's what I'm really trying to communicate here is to not be attached to these old structures, is let them crumble and be adaptable. Because the more, the closer we are to the epicenter of their self-destruction, the more that we kind of get dragged along that. And the result of that could be, could range from you know, a minor amount of suffering and wasting energy by trying to get out of it at the last minute, or, you know, it could take our lives. You know, it's sort of like if you had intel that somebody's, um, that, you know, somebody's going to stage a protest and it's going to be an angry protest at a certain time at a certain place. If you're right there at the middle of the protest, you're more likely to, um, get tear gassed or get beaten or get trampled or something like that than you are if you stay home and you watch it on TV. <laughs> or you basically say, oh, I'm going to leave town for a few days and, uh, and let these guys sort things out. Now, I'm not saying we should run away from all of this, by the way. And actually, we stay engaged in a very specific way. Most of what I do is through um, working one-on-one with people and with groups and with um, this transmission here, this podcast Um, Because I constantly receive messages from people on how it has helped them to navigate these times. Because what I feel is missing from a lot of spirituality and a lot of the transformation industry is people are still telling others how to manifest, um, you know, the life of their dreams and and, um, get a Lamborghini or, um, you know find more pleasure in your life. And that's all great, but they're not talking about the elephant in the room. Nobody's talking about how do you maturely and properly move through the times we're in? I mean, the Dalai Lama got medicalized on TV and told his followers, you should all go out and get this thing. It's great. Now, I am never going to listen to another word that the Dalai Lama says because he just told people to tether themselves to a very dark, destructive force. And this force basically mines its way into people and basically replaces their source connection with it. And so it's very insidious in that way. And clearly, we're seeing now who's been compromised, hijacked, taken over, and who still has their organic, natural essence about them. 
and even those with their organic natural essence, there's no um, there's no carte blanche that gets you out of jail for free. You know, we still have to be adaptable. We still have to be careful. We still have to be prudent. We have to align ourselves with the correct things that we need in order to best orient ourselves during these transitional times. And really, I hope today's message sinks in deeply for you. Because I don't know what's going to happen after April. It might be nothing. We might just continue going along this trajectory. And that trajectory, of course, is just the slow medicalization of the willing and um, continued restrictions. So it's a slow deterioration of our well-being, mentally, physically, emotionally, which isn't good. Or it could be something that's very quick and then causes a lot of action. I personally think that the masses of humanity are now starting to really dawn on the fact that something isn't right out there. You know, the people who always relied on external authority to basically tell them what to do are starting to say now, I don't know about this external authority that I've been ascribing to. Something fishy's about it. I mean, heck, even five years ago, I read that the... Um, Trust in the mainstream media was at like an all-time low of something like 6%, according to one poll in the U.S. (laughs) Yet people are still watching CNN, so I I have no idea um, the viability of that. Maybe they just watch it for the entertainment value, as news has become infotainment and not really much else than that. I don't watch any of that stuff um, because I don't really appreciate any of the... um, the neuro-linguistic programming, the subtle subconscious influences that come through those channels. In fact, I don't really watch much anymore or listen to much anymore. I just sort of create. And um, I speak to people who um, are personally in my life. And it's much better that way. It's much cleaner. It's that low-information diet. Anyway, so... That's the April update. And um, towards the end of the month, I will be also um, probably speaking about this again after the full moon and um, taking account of things. But my advice for now is to really figure out how adaptable you can be, how much you can actually allow your assemblage point, your filter of reality to be completely fluid for you so that you always stay 100% committed to your optimal alignment during these times. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day.